0: Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's Friday morning, and that means it's time for another incredible Friday conversation. I'm so blessed to get to sit here in front of this microphone and have a conversation with you. and Wherever you are in the world, please know that I value the time that you give me. And today, I, I think we're going to give you a 35 or so minute conversation with somebody that's really going to be helpful to you. If you are struggling with kind of wondering where you're going in your faith, if you've had something that sort of deconstructed your faith or knocked you off track, if you're a parent of children in this world today or grandchildren who are trying to find their way in a culture that tells them that there's no there's no absolute truth, that everything is sort of your truth and my truth, if, if people if people that you love have lost their way and you don't know how to help them find their way back, this conversation will help you. If you're tired of seeing on social media things that sound true but don't really taste right in your mouth or in your heart and your spirit, if you're you're wondering why the culture keeps kind of pushing us towards all these things that that sort of feel true, but they don't turn out to be true, then this conversation will help you. A few months ago, I had a a great opportunity to talk to one of my mentors and, and good friends, Philip Yancey, on the podcast about his new memoir at the time, Where the Light Fell, Philip's memoir, by the way, if you haven't read it, incredible, incredible work. But Philip and I were having a conversation on the podcast, and we were talking about this idea of relative truth and deconstruction and how people seem to be throwing away their faith and and trying to, to figure out what works for them. And as we had that conversation, somebody made a comment on the YouTube channel, on my YouTube channel, Uh, Somebody named GW left a comment that said, hey, y'all's conversation about deconstruction, you should get some more information about that because this woman named Elisa Childers wrote a book called Another Gospel and you should check it out. Well, I'd never heard of Elisa Childers at the time. I'd never heard of her book, but I value my listeners and I value the people in this community. And when you tell me something, I, I take it to heart. And so I went and looked at that book and I read it. And it turns out that Uh, The book Elisa Childers wrote called Another Gospel is a great look at this idea of progressive Christianity and her own experience with a pastor and a a group who kind of led her down a path for a while of kind of deconstructing her faith. And well, Elisa took that and, and actually ended up building a faith out of that that was based on what's real and what's true, and she wrote a book about it about really apologetics. It's really about how to defend your faith and why it's reasonable and valid and true that Christianity really is the way. So it's a tremendous book. She did a great job with it. And after that, I really decided I wanted to get her on the podcast. Well, I reached out to her publicist at Tyndale. And by the way, Tyndale is producing some great books these days. Last week's guest on Friday Conversations was uh, Clarissa mall and her book is from Tyndale. My friend, Michael Gillen, the scientist physicist, um, his book, believing and seeing is from Tyndale. They are just doing a great job right now, bringing some real truth to the world. So I'm proud of the fact that, um, having developed a relationship with Tyndale and they're sending me authors now to have on the podcast. Love that. But I reached out to Tyndale and said, Hey, I really want to talk to Elisa Childers about another gospel, her book. And they wrote back and said, well, she's not really doing interviews about that anymore. Because she's getting ready to release a new book, and all of her all of her time right now is dedicated to working on that that um, book and helping promote it. And I said, "Well, what's that book about? Send me a copy, and I'll check it out." And it's a new book that she just released called called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And I thought, "Well, that sounds interesting." So I read that book, and holy cow, it's as amazing, maybe maybe even more amazing to me, and more relevant right now than another gospel was. So I said, Well, let me just have her on the podcast to talk about that and it turns out we kinda of talked about everything and it was a great conversation. And I was kinda of kicking myself as we had a had a chat that I only asked for thirty minutes because I always try to when I ask a guest to come onto the show, I give them a time and I really try hard to stick to that time and honor that their schedules are busy and all that. And I wish I'd asked for two hours because I think we could have talked a long time about these really important concepts. But the, the nuts and bolts of it are that we want to talk about what does it mean when you say that there's really only one truth. Here's what Elisa had I
1: mean, say. especially even with my young kids, this is something that I really want them to be thinking about is the nature of truth because... Reality is a certain way, and I'm not claiming we can know everything there is to know about it, but there is a lot we can know about it objectively. And if we just create our own internal truths, especially when it comes to morality, then really it's just a matter of whoever is biggest and strongest or most talented at gaining influence that will be able to decide what is morally right or wrong. And anybody who has studied world history knows that doesn't work out very well most of the time.
0: I'm so glad to get to be bringing you this conversation with Lisa Childers today. I encourage you, friend, to go and check out her books. Another Gospel is a great look at the progressive movement and postmodernism and deconstruction, and all the things we didn't really have time to talk about today, and it'll really help you if you're searching for what's really true. And then Live Your Truth and Other Lies a tremendous new book that's going to be a valuable addition to my library. I'm going to give it to a lot of people, and we're giving away two copies free today. If you'd like to have a copy of Elisa Childers' book in hard copy, Tyndale has graciously agreed. The publicist agreed to give two copies to our listeners, lee at drleewarren.com. If you send me an email, Please, please, don't make me do extra work. Please send me your name and your mailing address if you'd like a copy. And the first two listeners that write in will give you a copy of that. We don't have digital or audio copies available of this book, just the two print copies. But let me know if you would like a copy of Live Your Truth and Other Lies and we'll get that out to you. I asked Lisa to pray with us before we got started. Absolutely.
1: Father, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to Use these digital mediums to come together and glorify you. Ultimately, that's our goal, Lord, is to uh, think about you rightly, to worship you, and may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. That's our prayer, and I pray that this conversation would bless everybody who listens to it and would minister to people in the very specific ways that they are walking through their own lives and whatever they're facing and whatever they are thinking about and walking through. So we ask you to bless this time together, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. We're going to have an incredible conversation. I ask you to just sit down, get a cup of coffee, or put on your headphones and work out, or if you're driving, just spend a few minutes getting to know a new friend and a trusted advisor on this journey of life as we're trying to find truth and, and find our way in this world. Listen, finding the truth will help you calm the storm of culture around you that's making everything seem so crazy, okay? All these these lies that the enemy tells us that war, the world tells us are not in the end very good news. You don't turn out to become healthier and feel better and be happier by following anything but the one true truth. It's true for your brain. If you're following things that aren't true, you get cognitive dissonance, and your heart gets all turned up, and it's not good neuroscience, and it's not good faith, and it's not good spiritual experience either, if you don't have a solid rock on which to build your life. Friend, this conversation will help you. I'm proud to introduce you to Elisa Childers, and as a bonus, at the end, we're going to play one of her songs from back in the day when she was a member of the Christian pop group, Zoe Girl, a different kind of free, great song. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. I'm always telling you that. You can't change your life. Until you change your mind And the most important decision that you can make That will radically change your life Not just now, but for eternity Is to understand what's true That there is a way There's the way that's true There's the way that's right And there's the way that leads to life And my friend, Elisa Childers Is going to help us get there And my Lisa, Elisa Warren Is going to tell us the good news And that is that we can start today Hey, are you ready to change your life? Please subscribe so you never miss an episode, and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Oh,
1: thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, you've um, you've written a couple of books that I'm really, I think, are really powerful, and um, I'm really honored to have you on the show today to introduce our listeners across the world to you and. So, I got to ask, like, how did you go from being kind of a pop star to being a theologian? Like, how, how did that happened in your well, life? That's, that's not I a common know. move that people make.
1: No, not common. That's not, not anything I saw coming, although I'm not so sure I would go so far as to call myself a theologian, but thank you for that. <laughs> but I, yeah. I always thought of myself more as a flaky artist type, you know, musician by nature, I always thought music was going to be the thing that I would do in life, never foresaw saw doing anything like what I'm doing today. But ultimately, what I'm doing today uh, is the result, really, of an experience that I had over 10 years ago. And it was an experience where my husband and I, you know, you mentioned that I, uh, I was in Christian music, and I spent almost 10 years touring all around with the group Zoe Girl. And when Zoe Girl came off the road, my husband and I wanted to really put down roots in a church. And Uh, We really hadn't had the opportunity to do that touring and always being gone on Sundays. And we kind of would go to different churches, but never really laid down roots. And so we found this church that we loved. And about eight months into us attending there, the pastor invited me to be a part of what he described to be a more inner circle type study and discussion group. And so it was in the context of this class that he actually revealed that his real beliefs were very unsure. He wasn't, he called himself an agnostic. He wasn't sure what he believed. And virtually every core belief that I'd held about God and Jesus and the Bible for my whole life were picked apart in this class. They were explained away. Uh, We were reading skeptical material against, you know, the claims of Christianity. And it really eroded my faith to the point that, um, when we left the church and I left the class, you know, I was kind of trying to debate with him while I was in the class. But when when we left the church, it was at that point that all of those doubts really took root and grew and propelled me into a time of doubt that was very dark. I really came up to the edge of agnosticism. I never fully lost my faith, but I um, really just wasn't sure if God even existed at all. And so I cried out to God and just said, hey, if if you're real and everything I've believed about you is true, I need to know what's true. So please send somebody who can talk to me about these things, you know, send me a lifeboat because I felt like I was drowning. And um, the Lord faithfully answered that prayer by leading me to the study of apologetics and theology and church history and all the things and uh, really helped rebuild my faith out of that situation. And so I'm really thankful to be able to have the type of ministry that can help others with those kinds of doubts and struggles as well.
0: Wow. You said something that's interesting to me. You were sort of led into this um, ideology, progressive ideology by a pastor who came at that from a place of credibility. So I don't think I've met anyone who went from a fairly traditional theology, if you will, to a more progressive one without being sort of led – that way, by by small groups or other people or people talking about it, and, and somebody close to us said, I, "I asked the question, how did you sort of deconstruct your faith? What led you to do that?" And, and the answer was, "Well, I read the Bible." And, mm, and I hear and that and a lot, they, actually. Yeah, right. Yeah, and what they meant by that is, I, I I read a bunch of stuff in the Bible that I didn't like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it challenged what I wanted it to say, and it didn't say that, and so. Maybe that. Maybe just for a few seconds, talk about how that led you to write your first book, and give us a little background on your first book because it's fantastic as well.
1: Thank you. Well, that's a very insightful comment there you just made because I'm currently right now writing a book on deconstruction, and that's something we see over and over and over again in the deconstruction movement is that you know I I was happily sailing along in my Christianity, and then I read the Bible, and then they come across problematic passages in the Old Testament where. God, as you stated, is different than they expected him to be, you know, that he actually does have wrath for sin and judgment for sin and things like that, which they couldn't reconcile with their own internal morality that they had somehow, um, you know, come to be comfortable with. So that's a really important point there. And it was the Bible that really led me to uh, write another gospel. Now, I come from a slightly different background in that I had been reading and studying the Bible ever since I could read and write. And right. I loved the Bible my whole life. I had read the entire Bible by the time I was twelve years old. I think I think there were some bits and numbers I didn't ever make it all the way through, but for the most part, I'd read the vast majority of the Bible by the time I was twelve years old, and um, never none, none of it seemed problematic to me. I just you know trusted God that what he was doing was right, and that he gets to decide what those things are. And uh, so it really wasn't until I was in this class that God w- was painted as this kind of mean bully in the sky that smites people. And, um, you know, and and as a child, I wasn't under the impression that the Noah's Ark story was this, you know, colorful floating zoo, like the pictures you color in Sunday school. I, (laughs) I saw the dark side of that story as a kid. And it really made me have a lot of awe and reverence for the holiness of God. And I think that's the, you know, the intention of a lot of that. But it was when the pastor... Would bring arguments really against the reliability of the Bible that were, it wasn't the, it wasn't the morality of the Bible that troubled me. It was when he intellectually persuaded me that we don't even have an accurate copy of what was originally written. So, you know, basically I'm sitting here thinking I've based my whole life on this book that I just have taken on faith is God's word. But if I don't even have an accurate copy of what that is. Then where do what do I stand on? And so that that I think was the big catalyst for me that led me to dive so deep into studying those topics.
0: Again, yeah, it turns out to not be true. I mean, the Bible is one of the most historically reliable yeah, exactly. pieces of ancient literature that we have, right?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of rhetorical information out there that will present facts in a skewed way in order to persuade people to think that it's not reliable. And that's one of the things I learned when I really did the deep dive. I mean, I audited a seminary class on textual criticism, and that's when I really realized that a lot of the popular level material you're reading is very rhetorical. It's it's trying to persuade you to think that the Bible is not reliable, but they're holding the Bible to a much higher standard than they hold any other ancient you know work of literature. And yeah, as you stated, even the most skeptical scholars will tell you that. Um, of the differences even in the manuscripts, the vast majority of those don't affect the meaning of what the text is communicating at all. So what's the problem then is I guess my question to the person right. who would leave their faith over that.
0: Yeah. You know, Ecclesiastes said there's nothing new under the sun. And and it it, it shocks me how people can't see the, the, this all revolves around the original lie that, that Satan told us, which is mm-hmm. did God really say that? Did, did he really say that? Did he mean that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's it's kind of like, it's funny because those are two different questions that God really say and did God really mean. I feel like if you look at the Garden of Eden story, you have the serpent questioning what God had actually spoken. And then when this just that same serpent, the devil, is in the wilderness with Jesus trying to tempt him, he yeah. actually quotes scripture back to Jesus, quoting it accurately, but he's trying to twist the meaning. So it's really kind of a double-sided tactic that he uses today. I think he does both.
0: That underscores the importance of... Christians to to be in the Word and know the Word mm. and, and as we said earlier, not just let the pastor tell you what the Bible says or let somebody else tell you, but to know it for yourself, listener. Um, and, and so I, I think as we as we as you wrote progressive uh, wrote about the progressive gospel and your experience with it in another gospel, you did a really masterful job at proving out the theology and and the almost apologetic well it was apologetics of here's why you can really believe this and here's why you can really trust it and i think that's important we need to know why and mm-hmm. so i would as we segue into talking about your new book i, I just i can't encourage you highly enough uh, friend listening um if you're if you're wondering how true it really is, then this is a great resource that Elisa has written. Um, another gospel, her first book, uh, is a very valuable use of your time to read that. Um, let's just pivot for a minute. You said in one of your Instagram posts, and by the way, your um, Instagram, I'll put your uh, your Instagram uh, channel up for people to see. You got some really insightful posts. And one of them recently, you said this, we tend to start with what we find compelling and beautiful and then seek only the sources that prove our preconceived understanding of the way the world is. But the reality is truth is true no matter how we feel about it. I talk about that yeah. for a second. That's, that's really one of the reasons I asked you to, to be on the show today.
1: I, I think one of the biggest lies that our culture is bought into is this idea that truth is sort of fluid or that it's relative relative to each person, that it's really something that just exists within your own head. It's subjective in that sense that it's based on you, the subject. And um, the reason that's so dangerous is because if Christianity is true, which I, of course, I believe it is, it teaches that we actually are broken inside. We, We are inherently sinful, meaning that, I mean, it's beautiful that we were made in the image and likeness of God, But there's a big but there, and that happens in Genesis 3 when mankind chose to rebel against God, ushering sin and death into the world, and then through one man, death and sin spread to all men, as we learn in Romans 5. And so if that's the truth, if that's how reality is, that's not just true for one person, that's actually true for everybody, whether they believe it or not, which actually should signal us that maybe our own internal ideas of what right and wrong are true or false or all all that stuff— might not actually be in tune with what's actually real. And that's really yeah. the definition of truth is it's its truth is what is real. It's an idea, a statement, a belief that lines up or corresponds with reality. But sadly, our culture has lost its grip on that. Now, I don't think most people walk around like relativists, like with with everything. I think people kind of generally expect there to be truth that can be known when it comes to mathematics or science or banking. You know, you go to your bank and you expect your money to be there. But with religion and with morality, we've sort of, as a culture, put those into the subjective categories. So, so it's just like, you know, you find what works for you, I'll find what works for me. But the thing about Christianity is it's not something that, it's it's not primarily there for it to work for you. In fact, there are so many promises in the Bible that lead us to know that it's probably not going to feel like it's working a lot of the time. And Jesus promised that the world would hate us, you know, and they hated him. And he said that's because he convicted them of their sin. So, as Christians, living according to the truth is going to actually not feel great every day. There's going to be trouble. But of course, Jesus said, be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. So we have this greater hope to look at. But uh, I do think, I mean, especially even with my young kids, this is something that I really want them to be thinking about is the nature of truth. Because reality is a certain way. And I'm not claiming we can know everything there is to know about it. But there are is a lot we can know about it objectively. And if we just create our own internal truths, especially when it comes to morality, then really it's just a matter of whoever is biggest and strongest or most talented at gaining influence that will be able to decide what is morally right or wrong. And anybody who has studied world history knows that doesn't work out very well most of the time. (laughs) So truth is important.
0: That's right. And, uh, you know, I think, it, what you just said kind of segues into talking about this idea that you bring up, a really important idea you bring up in the book of linguistic theft, um, which we can we can talk about for a moment. Um, the book, the new Elisa Childers book, uh, listener, if you're just tuning in, is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. And the title tells the whole story. Like there's there's some things – that the world is telling us right now that we need to like and share and 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 post on our, our Instagram channels, but they might not actually be true. So before we get into linguistic theft, Alisa, talk to us a second about the the first part of your book when you talk about social media and kind of what got under your skin about what led you to, to write this new book, Live Your Truth.
1: Well, several years ago, before I went through my faith crisis, even, I remember seeing this post come down my social media newsfeed and it really sounded nice. Like it sounded great. And I was like, I really like that. And I was just getting ready to click like, and I was just getting ready to share it on Facebook. And all of a sudden I just was like, wait wait a second. And I remember just thinking it through, like this was before I really had studied, um, systematic theology and all hermeneutics and all that stuff. So, but just something about it was hitting me wrong, even though it sounded like good advice. And so I went to the scriptures and I started searching that topic throughout the scriptures. And I realized, I wish I could remember what the post was because that would, that would make this more interesting. But (laughs) the main point is that when I went to the scriptures, the scriptures actually told the opposite story. And that's when I realized, and and then I ended up, uh, I wish I could go back and find the post in my timeline. But I remember posting something like, you know, a lot of these things sound good, but they're not true. And if they're not true, they're not good. And so that's what all those years, even before everything that led up to another gospel, I was thinking about that. And so I start the book by talking about social media and how we essentially have kind of recreated the Tower of Babel. Of course, that famous story from Genesis where the whole world spoke with one language. They were all united with one purpose. And culturally speaking, like, that sounds good, right? People are working together. They're unified. They, they have the same vision, the same goal, but God didn't think it was a good idea. And, and I don't think that's because they were unified. It, it, it's because they were unified for nefarious purposes. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted yeah. to glorify themselves, build a tower to the sky. And so that's why God separated them and confused their language. And I think we're kind of at that place again in history where we've, through the digital Tower of Babel and social yeah. media, we've recreated that scenario in which, once again, The world speaks with one language, but you know what? We're not any smarter and we're actually, Uh as a culture, not doing any better than before we were all speaking with one voice. So it seems like, again, we're more united in some ways, but there's more chaos in culture than maybe, I mean, certainly not going to say than ever before, but it's the chaos that we do find ourselves in is amplified and accessible to everyone through social yeah. media and that's the thing that makes this moment in history unique i think
0: exactly let's talk about linguistic theft for a minute it made a great point at the start of the book and throughout it really like we've we've allowed society to change the meaning of words and and how those words are used in conversation and just give us a little bit of thought about that
1: Right. So this comes from Hilary Ferrer, who is the general editor and main author of the Mama Bear Apologetics book. And she she coined the, the term there, linguistic theft. And really what that means is when somebody takes a word and they redefine it and refashion it to be used as a tool of propaganda, That that was her definition. And then I would add yeah. that sometimes people aren't doing it as propaganda because they're not doing it intentionally. It's just they might have a certain conception of what this word means, but somebody else might have a completely different idea. And our culture is constantly redefining words to make them. Uh, here's and this is one example I use in the book. You know, it used to be that the the position was called pro-choice if you were for a woman's you know um, right to have an abortion. Well, that got changed into reproductive justice. I mean, think about that. Who wouldn't want yeah. to be against? Reproductive justice, but really, what reproductive justice means is not actually justice. Certainly not for the child in the womb. But it's it. They've they've added justice language to it to strengthen uh, the perception that what they're believing in and advocating for is morally good. And so yeah. we see this happen with all sorts of different words, especially for example, today the word love, right? Biblically speaking, love means that Paul talks about love being patient and kind. But he also says love cannot rejoice in wrongdoing, and then love is directly connected with the truth because he says love rejoices in the truth. So biblically speaking, it's not loving to affirm something about someone else that's sinful or harmful, and yet the world would say love means you accept and even celebrate whatever I want to think, say, behave like, and believe. And right. so those are two radically opposite definitions. So we can sometimes be talking to each other using the same word, but actually meaning the direct opposite of what the other person thinks we're talking about.
0: That's right. I think you use it as a tool to bully other people or or to keep right. the debate about something that it's not about. Yeah, I thought that was a really important uh, point that you made and it's something that we need to be talking about. Like, wait a minute, love and tolerance don't mean what you say that they mean. Here's what they really mean. That's right. And and so the standard has to be set. And and that's another reason why it comes back around to this idea of Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, not a way and a truth. And so I I talk a lot to people about, I have a a good friend who's an atheist and and my whole underpinning, a, a big part of my faith is that, Christianity, if it's one of many paths to God, can't be true because internally it claims of itself that it's the path to God. And so it can't be true that it's the path and one of many paths at the same time. And so it's either true or it's not true. And and so you've built a good defense for why it is true in your first book and now in your second book as well. Let's go through some of your, let's go through some of your lies versus truths that you posted here. Um, is that okay? Absolutely. So you gave us a list here on Instagram, lies versus truth. One is live your truth and the other is live the truth. Talk about that for a second.
1: Right. So, you know, our culture has sort of adopted this idea that it's each person's responsibility to do some introspection, search yourself, uh, dig down deep inside your own heart, and then identify what your deepest desires are, what your deepest wants, hopes, dreams And then take those deepest desires and proclaim them to the world. Claim them as your identity and proclaim them to the world and live your truth, right? Right. Um, Whereas the Bible has a slightly different story to tell. The Bible says when you dig down inside your own heart and you identify your deepest desires, those desires are not always going to be in line with what is actually morally good. And so that would require repentance. That requires that we change something about ourselves. And we're living in a culture where for you to suggest to somebody that something about them needs to change inherently, um, this is seen as rejecting their entire personhood or humanity. So we're really at a place in history where living your truth is synonymous with um, basically creating a reality for yourself that other people have to actually live by a lie they're required to affirm that about you even if they don't agree about that If they think that's untrue and true. so it's creating a culture of lies living your truth so we need to live the truth reality is one thing and it you know i think think about christianity um if christianity is true it's true for everybody which means it has eternal consequences for everybody because it makes claims about itself that are exclusive. It makes claims about eternity. It makes claims about the destiny of every human. And if it's true, it's not just true for the people who believe it. It's true for everybody. Everybody will face God and will face their their judge. And so that's why it's so important that we as Christians don't give up, we don't concede language on this because Christianity isn't just a truth that somebody can choose to live by. It's actually true, whether people believe it or not. And so that's that's why Christians feel such a sense of urgency to evangelize and share the the gospel with people because they want people, we want people to be in right relationship with their creator, which is really our purpose. That's why we were created. So we want, out of love, to see people um, live in that type of destiny, but um, that's really kind of seen as almost like hate speech in a lot of ways in our culture right now.
0: Exactly right. You are enough versus Jesus is enough.
1: Right. So you are enough I think is really based upon the idea that humans are inherently good. This is a massive yep. message that's being pumped to us. In fact, I think when people are trying to share the gospel today, one of the most difficult obstacles you will have to overcome won't necessarily be an apologetic issue like reliability of the Bible. I mean, that that can all be in the mix, but the main difficulty will be trying to convince somebody they need salvation, that they're right. inherently sinful. And this is this is just not a message that's very popular right now. And so when people say you are enough, like I get it. There, there are people who have been horribly abused. They've been told their whole lives they're worthless, they're a piece of trash. And then somebody comes along and says you are enough. And I get it. I get why that feels good. I get why that's the thing you want to say to that person. But what I'm asking people to do in the book is think about that a little bit more deeply like think it through all the way because really when you tell somebody you're enough on even on top of all that other stuff what you're essentially doing is putting a burden on them you're saying you have to fix all of your own problems all by yourself because everything you need for that is inside of you already and that's really a burden because if the bible's right which of course i believe it is and we're inherently sinful and fallen then you need something outside of yourself to help you 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 don't have it inside of you and so that's putting a burden on people Uh, to fix something that they don't have the capability of fixing for themselves. We actually need something outside of ourselves. We need redemption. We need the love of God. We need the salvation that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we need the mechanism of grace, which is unmerited favor, right? We can't earn it. These are such beautiful doctrines. These are such beautiful truths, but they're not beautiful unless you realize you need them. Um, They can be seen almost as bondage if somebody thinks they just, you know, why would I go outside myself if if everybody's telling me I'm enough for myself just as I am? So I I get the impetus. I get the good-hearted, I mean, the well-meaning people who say that. I, you know, certainly not attacking anybody for saying it. I get it. But let's think it through a little more deeply and let's tell people the truth because really the person that's been told all these lies about themselves their whole life, what they need to be told is, hey, first of all, you're made in the image and likeness of God, which just by its definition gives you inherent dignity and value and worth. So let's root that in God, not that's in right. you. And of course, you know, we're all fallen. We need we need the salvation of Jesus. We need help outside of ourselves. And I right. think that's just a much more life-giving message that's much more freeing because then you don't have to dig yourself out of a hole. You probably got yourself in, in the first place, or even in the case of somebody who's been abused or they've been Um, Mistreated, you know, you're you're not going to find all of that inside of yourself, Um, but your heavenly Father is the one who can help you with that.
0: That's right, and you know, it turns out to be. Interesting to me that the the gospel means good news, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we if we follow the gospel, it says don't try to be a better version of yourself. Die to yourself and be more like that's him. right. And that's right. and that's good news. It's good news because he's enough to handle everything. The yoke you talked about a better yoke that he offers us. And the, this progressive ideology and this social ideology that we have now of, of living our own truth and everybody needs to be tolerant of me. It turns out not to be very good news because the target keeps changing, right? You, you mm. think this is going to make you happy and you do this thing and it doesn't make you happy. So you change it a little bit more and pursue that a little bit harder and it just doesn't make you happy. So what's the end result of, of living your own truth, Elisa? What what happens to people when they pursue this, this notion of, of, uh, finding my own way? What, what, have, what's been your experience when people live that way?
1: Well, when when we try to live our own way, it, it can go a bunch of different ways. I mean, you might have somebody who sort of numbs their need for God for their entire lives with things like money, relationships, um, success, fame, business, success, whatever it might be. Yeah. And they might actually get to the end of their life going, Hey, I loved that. I had a, a great life, but they've lived in rebellion against God their whole life and they don't even realize that they need him. I mean, that that can be one result of somebody yep. being numb to the fact that they even need salvation. Uh, another possible path could be, you know, trying to fill that void with temporal things that are uh, I mean, all of that other stuff is ultimately harmful too in the long run, but the but the immediate consequences might not be as bad. But, you know, people could turn to promiscuity or alcohol or drugs, and yeah. which numbs it for a while, makes it feel good for a minute. But then, of course, those things just destroy you from the inside out. Um, so that consequence might take root a little bit more quickly and be realized more quickly. But I think this is, I think, a very important thing to to bring out. I've been thinking a lot about this. When we orient, even how we preach about sin around the self, then yeah. we're still leading people to look for the the just the feel good consequences like and i get it like uh, i've seen a lot of churches try to soften the idea of sin by saying well god doesn't want you to sin because it hurts you and that certainly is true yeah. i mean that is, that is a reality right but it's not the primary reality of what sin is is doing sin is an affront to a holy god it's rebellion against god and when we don't when we leave that part of it out then what we're leading people to, to do is think about sin through the lens of self. So it leads people to say, Well, this isn't really hurting me. You know, I, yeah. I have a big house, and I'm not saying it's a sin to have a big house, but these things can become idols, right? They can become distractions. Yeah, and so when somebody's in that kind of a situation where their whole life's goal is just, you know, to get the yacht and the beach house and wherever it may be and they achieve all those things, if they've been taught to look at sin through the lens of the consequence of self, they might be like, well, it all worked out for me. I'm happy. I'm good. But that's because they will have been missing the primary motivation for us to repent for our sin, which isn't the consequence that it will bring to us in the practical realm, which it certainly will, but it's to be reconciled to a holy God. It's rebellion against God. I I know a, a couple who lived together before they got married. And everybody, all the Christians around them were saying, "It's don't do this. It's not good for you. Yeah. It's, you know, the statistics say this, this, and this. Well, they ended up getting married and are hap- they're happy and they have a kid and everything's great. And so there's been no repentance because they think, oh, well, it all worked out, you know, worked out for me. But that's again, because I think we can tend as Christians to soften it by making it all about you. And yeah. um, that's just, that's only going to lead somebody to a half-truth.
0: That's right, and you know you you the book the the last sentence. I mean, you, you tell us what truth is, who truth is, and I love the way you wrote it. Truth is a person. Like truth isn't some nebulous concept that we have to make up or insist that everybody uh, agree on for for us. And it's not relative. It's not individualistic. It's it's a person. It's an individual mm-hmm. person. Who is that person?
1: Yeah, it's Jesus. <laughs> That's
2: right.
1: It's it's Jesus, and I love you know the the way I ended it. In fact, I had ended it with. I think saying truth is a person and then just before it went to print I I wanted to add and he is your reward like he's the point mm. he's the reward for all of this and so if we fix our eyes on that um it's not just true but it's a better way to live
0: yeah Absolutely. So we're going to give away, uh, your your uh, publicist at Tyndale is uh, going to give away two copies of the book. So first two listeners that email me, lee at com with your name and your mailing address, um, we'll send you a copy of Elisa's book. Then um, we're grateful for that. So Elisa, if you, if you could give us 30 seconds of what you hope, whoever this is that gets this book in the mail, what do you hope they get from it? What do you hope it does for them?
1: I hope that it awakens the imagination of what a life could look like that's oriented around God rather than the self. Wow. That was less than 30 seconds.
0: <laughs> and way less. That's five seconds. So you got yeah. 25 seconds left. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think truly, and also secondarily, um, in the book, we deal with a lot of popular level influencers that have books and very popular Instagram pages and TikToks and all these things. People yeah. that are sort of leading people to think that, yeah, you can be a Christian and totally live for yourself. And so also a hope that I would have is that somebody that might be following some of those thought leaders and influencers might wake up and go, oh, like this person has been lying to me about ultimate reality and what will actually make me truly have real joy and real freedom in my life. And maybe just be able to be free from that. That would be a huge, uh, Huge joy to me if I received emails of people saying, Hey, I was following this person. And then I read the book and it and it showed me how wrong these ideas were. now I'm truly living in alignment with my creator. I've been, you know, I I I know my purpose is to worship God and be in his presence forever. And what a joy it is to discover that. That would be that would be incredibly encouraging.
0: Oh, that's great. I think you did that um with the books. I've read both your books now. I can't wait to read your your new book on deconstruction. Do you have a working title?
1: I, we don't yet we've gone Early. through so many I just I yeah I, we're struggling pray for us and we'll come up with a good title
0: yeah Tyndale is killing it lately y'all have had some uh, great books come out in that from that house uh, in the last year so I just mm. had another Tyndale author on the show last week Clarissa Mall uh, in a book that she wrote about grief um, mm. but it's it's encouraging to me to see uh, a a group of younger Christians um who are coming along and, and really writing real works of theology and real works mm-hmm. of apologetics. And it's not, you know, we, we all worry about the next generation and the generation behind us and the Lord is faithful and he's, he's bringing up great writers and, and great uh, influencers. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for standing up to what probably has been hard for you to stand up to some of the things in culture. You got in trouble for a blog post you wrote about uh, girl, wash your face, didn't you?
1: Well, you could look at it that way. I did. I got a lot of bad, nasty emails on that, but it's also what, um, you know, it went viral. So it it had a couple of million views within a few weeks of putting it out. And that's really what opened the door for me to be able to write another gospel. That's when, you know, publishing houses and agents started calling and that was what opened the door for me to even get to do this. So yeah, a lot of people, but you know, that's kind of the thing is half, half the people loved it. And then half people hated it. Yep. But is that's that's what happens when you share the gospel. People, Paul said, when well, we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ and to those who are being saved, it smells like life. To those who are perishing, it smells like death. So there's not really a lot of middle ground when you're sharing the real gospel.
0: That's right. That's right. And God uses everything uh, for his own purposes. His word never goes out empty, right?
1: That's right.
0: Well, thank you for your time. I promised you about half an hour. We're right up against it, um, Lisa. And hopefully we can have you back on the show when your new book comes out. I love you. it. Um, I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing and uh, praying for your ministry and your family. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It was great to talk with you.
0: Wow, it was another great conversation. I'm so glad that Elisa took the time to be with us today. Please check out her books, her website, very valuable resource for you. We're going to leave you with one last sort of reminder of what she said. I said, give us 30 seconds of what we need to know from your ministry today that will really help us. And she gave us about five seconds, which is really powerful. Here it is one more time.
1: (laughs) I hope that it awakens the imagination of what a life could look like that's oriented around God rather than the self.
0: There you go, friend. Listen, there's the way, there's the truth, there's the light, and it's Jesus. You won't find it in another gospel. And you won't find it in all these little lies that society tells us. Elisa Childers has given us a great bunch of stuff to think about, some great resources on her, on her website, her YouTube channel. I'll put all our links out there. And I'm going to leave you with a flashback to her days as a pop singer and Zoe Girl, different kind of free. And it kind of ties the thing together. It's a different kind of freedom that we have in Christ. The world tells us we need to be free to make our own decisions and do all our own things. And that's not a really a freedom that leads to anything but more bondage. And more trouble. And so here's Zoe Girl, different kind of free. Don't forget, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is, my friend, you can start today. <music>
2: Last September, she still calls it the fall to remember. Little Heather, when it all came together, said you remember the first time you met her. She cried when it rains and blamed the weather, but inside she strained with suicide letters. The kind of coat you couldn't warm, or the sweater hardly lasted past December. She said she was headed down to defeat. That's the last you'd seen, and never. Queen with the difference, there for all to see. She found a different, a different kind of free.
0: Self brain surgery. Dr. Lee Warren dot substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLE Prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at Tommy Walker Ministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them. Tommy Walker Ministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.